Not only is the Big 12 the best conference in all of college basketball, it is the most exciting race at the tip top. Who's got the inside edge? You are Locked On College Basketball, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey there, what's up? Welcome into the Locked On College Basketball Podcast, the only daily national college hoop show out there. I'm your host, Isaac Shade. Normally joining me on a Thursday would be Leaf Tulane, but he is out with a sore throat today, just struggling, and we want to make sure he gets his voice back. I've been missing my co-hosts a lot due to sore throats. I'm beginning to think it might be me. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash Locked On today to get started. Hey, we're going to also work today at unpacking the ACC, which is itself weird and wacky, but more in the middle. And then we're going to get to our six-pack. Uh, we're rebranding our quick hitters thing as a six pack. Can't wait to unpack some of that for you coming up later. But first, this Big 12 race, y'all, this is something else and it is so much fun. Uh, on, on Wednesday night, and this is, this is being recorded before this game takes place, West Virginia, Texas Tech, they're playing. And I'm recording that before recording this before that game. And with all due respect to Bob Huggins and with all due respect to the members of my family who graduated from Texas Tech. After this game is over, these two will be a combined two and 14. And so we're not paying too much terribly attention. But after that, all 10 Big 12 teams will have played one game shy of half of their conference. And as it stands right now at the time of this recording. All of the top six, so those bottom two, Texas Tech and West Virginia, plus the two Oklahoma schools, that's the bottom four. Let's forget about them for a second. Sorry. But the top six in the Big 12, all of them are in the top 17 in the current AP poll. Kansas State 5, Kansas 9, Texas 10, TCU 11, Iowa State 12, and Baylor 17. All six of them are in the top 25 at Ken Palm. Texas 9, Kansas 10, Iowa State 12, TCU 13, Baylor 14, Kansas State 15. And here's the thing. This group of six is all sorts of clumped up and mashed up together, partly because of what happened on Tuesday night in Ames, Iowa. Iowa State, Kansas State going at it. These two teams, here's what's so cool about this to me. Iowa State picked eighth in the preseason Big 12 poll. Kansas State, as you know, as we've talked about here on the show a lot, picked 10th in the preseason Big 12 poll. The only reason we're not talking about Ohio State as this crazy thing that's coming out of nowhere is because of Kansas State and what they have done. So these two square off in Ames. Uh, going into the game, Kansas State has the sole possession of first place in the Big 12, followed by Iowa State, followed also by Texas. And so if K-State can get this win against Iowa State, they create a little bit more separation, get two games in the loss column over them. But no, Iowa State holds serve at home 80-76. to 76. And what's interesting about the Cyclones to me in this whole thing, Iowa State's calling card is their defense. They are eighth in the nation at Ken Palm in terms of defensive efficiency. And we talk so much about what they're able to do there, but they drop 80 in this game. It's the offense that made it go. And so if they're able to do that 
at any sort of consistent level, particularly away from home, watch out because Iowa State continues to be for real. We talk so much about Caleb Grill and Gabe Kalsher and what they need to do for Iowa State to go, but folks, we cannot forget about Jaron Holmes. He's been coming on lately. The senior guard has 20-plus points in two of their last three games, including this win over Kansas State, an efficient 23 points on 8 of 11 shooting. He's got 13 assists the last two games, and so love to see that for Iowa State. But here's a big thing for me. Kansas State continues to perform well, even in this road game. They're right there with Iowa State. And so uh, Kansas State, man, is doing what they need to do. And, and again, don't miss this with Iowa State. They have five top 25 wins this season. Um, and so both these teams, again, with these Big 12 matchups, it doesn't do anything to diminish what we feel about these teams because they're going to keep knocking each other off. So with those results, plus a couple other Big 12 games from Tuesday night, TCU uh, beat Oklahoma at TCU, Texas beat Oklahoma State at Texas, and so they keep pace. So here's the bunching. Here's why all this is crazy. We have these six teams that are within one game of first place, all within one game of each other. Um, Iowa State, Kansas State, and Texas are all at six and two, tied atop the conference because, again, Iowa State beat Kansas State. And then TCU, Baylor, and, K and Kansas are all five and three. Part of that is because Baylor and TCU have been coming up and because Kansas has dropped off a little bit. And so here's what you need to know about this race. The key to winning the Big 12, it's like I've been saying with the Pac-12. To win the Pac-12, it's going to be Arizona or UCLA. And in order to do that, it's not how they perform against each other. It's how they perform against the other 10 teams. The Big 12 is shaping up very similarly. And what I mean is this. It's not how these six teams perform against each other. Because let's be honest, we've seen it already. They're going to keep beating up on each other and taking losses there. What they have to do to win the Big 12 regular season title is do work against the four bottom feeders, West Virginia, Texas Tech, and the two Oklahoma schools. And so a quick look at what each of these six schools has done against the, the four bottom feeders. Remember, Big 12 is true round robin, so you get eight games against those four teams. Texas so far has played the most games against them and won them all. Texas is 5-0, so they get three more shots to go 8-0. and Kansas is next. They have played four, as has Baylor. Kansas and Baylor are both 4-0 and at this point. And then Iowa State, Kansas State, TCU have each played three games uh, and are 2-1, and are Iowa State and TCU, and Kansas State's 3-0. and So quick rundown of that again. Texas is 5-0 against the bottom four teams. Kansas and Baylor are 4-0 against the bottom four teams. K-State is 3-0. and And then Iowa State and TCU are the two teams that have lost a game. Because here's the thing, the inside track to the Big 12 regular season championship runs through being 8-0 against those bottom feeders. Does that make sense? Additionally, part of who has the inside track going forward is the team, I think the team that has the most remaining games and who takes care of those remaining games. So as I said, Texas is already 5-0 and and so they've only got three games left against those bottom feeders. Kansas and Baylor have four each. Iowa State, K-State, and TCU have five left, but 
TCU's the school that is three and zero, while Iowa State and Kansas State are two and one. So to me, in a lot of ways, if TCU continues to hold serve because they've got an easier back half of the schedule, still five games against Texas Tech, West Virginia, and the Oklahoma schools, they're in good shape to keep moving up and potentially get into the driver's seat there in the Big Twelve. Now. Some people might push back on that and say, yeah, but Texas, even though they've got fewer games left, they've already taken care of five of them and they're five and up. I, I hear that and I buy it. But for me right now, you know what? I, I misspoke there. It's it's TCU and Iowa State that have dropped a game. It's Kansas State that is the one that's 3-0. and And so in some ways, even though the, the Ken Palm numbers don't like Kansas State as much as the other schools, Kansas State has a nice inside track, assuming they can take care of work against the bottom four. So keep your eyes on that. Folks, we go from the highest ranked Power Six Conference to the lowest ranked Power Six Conference. That's right. We're going to try to make some sense of the pile up in the middle of the ACC in just a minute. But before we do that, I need to tell you that this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. The NFL playoffs are here. We're really excited about our new sports betting partner for Locked On because they are the number one sports book in all of America. It's FanDuel. And if you're new to FanDuel, honestly, it's even better. They got so many great features and make betting on sports fun and easy. New customers join today to get started with $150 in free bets guaranteed when you place your first $5 bet. Just sign up at FanDuel.com slash Locked On. FanDuel's got all your favorite bets from money line to point spreads, player props, and you can even combine stuff into a parlay. The lines for the conference championship games in the NFL are out for this weekend. Eagles favored by two and a half over the 49ers and the Chiefs by one and a half over the Bengals. All of this on an app that's safe, secure, and super easy to use. So don't miss out. Place your first $5 bet to get $150 in free bets. Win or lose at FanDuel.com slash locked on. Make every moment more with FanDuel, the official sportsbook partner of the NFL. So the ACC is also muddled, but in a different way than the Big 12. At the Big 12, it's all that congestion at the top. In the ACC, it's all this congestion in the middle. Basically, like three through 10 are all vying for a a top four seed. In the ACC conference tournament, a top four seed gets you a double buy into Thursday. And so that's what you're trying to achieve. You just want to grab one of those four spots. Keep in mind in the AC. ACC, it's 20 games. It's an unbalanced schedule. Several of these schools have already reached the halfway point, and the rest will do so this weekend. As it stands right now, Clemson and UVA, Virginia, have sole possession of first and second place. We all saw that coming with Clemson, right? No, absolutely not. But after those two, folks, good luck sorting through this thing. Miami and North Carolina right now are tied at third place at seven and three and whomever wins the Wednesday night's matchup between Wake Forest and Pitt will then tie with them at seven and three again we're recording this before that Wake Forest Pittsburgh matchup on Wednesday night currently tied for sixth at sixth and four are NC State Syracuse and then the loser of that Wake Forest Pitt game 
Duke could also move up to that six and four place. They are five and four right now, but don't play their 10th game until Saturday when they're at Georgia Tech. And then Florida State is five and five. Obviously, if Duke loses, they would fall back to being tied with Florida State right there. So all those teams I've just given you, that's 10 teams in the ACC that are currently 500 and better uh, in their conference record with the five teams below them also uh, clearly being also Rams because the top 10 are all 500 or better. So Florida State at five and five is only four conference games out of first place behind Clemson with still 10 games left to play. Uh, It's not unthinkable or crazy, especially given that we're not really sure what Clemson will do against everyone. We'll talk more about that in a minute. Now, this is all curious because the ACC is the longtime premier conference in all of college basketball. But as I said, they're currently sixth rated at Ken Palm among all the conferences, but they're at the dead last of the power six conferences. It goes big 12, big 10, big East ranked third right now. How about that? SEC PAC 12 and then the ACC. Yes. The PAC 12 right now is rated ahead of the ACC at Ken Palm. And the ACC is just slightly ahead of um, the MWC. And so it's like, what, what on earth is happening with the ACC? Now keep in mind, all of that is just simple projections. It doesn't necessarily say how you will perform on quarter, what you'll do in the postseason. To wit, last year, the ACC was fifth out of those power six schools and still sent three teams to the Elite Eight and filled out half of the final four with North Carolina and Duke. On the opposite side of that, Big Ten was third rated conference in all of college basketball last year. They had just two sweet 16 teams and none in the Elite Eight. So all that to say, these rankings, whatever, it doesn't necessarily matter in terms of postseason success. But we also know that a lot of postseason success is based on matchups and what happens with those. All that to say that the ACC is not ranked all that highly and they don't seem to have an elite team establishing themselves. Um, And it's also odd because of all the preseason expectations heaped upon like North Carolina preseason number one, not currently ranked Duke preseason number seven, not currently ranked. Both of those teams ranked top seven in the preseason AP poll out of the top 25 right now. And by the way, that's potentially with Derek Whitehead, one of Duke's stud freshmen, who's really starting to come into his own, potentially out for a lengthy amount of time. We're still waiting to hear uh, the results of his injury from Monday night's game against Virginia Tech. Now, preseason, Virginia was 18, and then they've moved right on up, and they're second in the ACC standings right now. Miami was others receiving votes. They're tied with North Carolina for third in the conference. Clemson, the team leading this whole thing, zero, zero votes in the preseason AP poll. That's how wacky and upside down the whole ACC has been. So the question I've been getting asked a lot and where we need to go with this with the ACC, can Clemson hang on to this thing? Well, according to Ken Palm, probably not. There are six teams in the ACC, ranked ahead of Clemson at Ken Palm right now. Virginia, North Carolina, Miami, NC State, Duke, and Virginia Tech. Yes, 2-7 and seven Virginia Tech. And so the, the predictive metrics, the computer stuff, would tell you that no, Clemson will not hang on to this thing. But when, when you start to look at, at some scheduling things, remember, 
the ACC schedule breaks nice and favorably for the Tigers. They get to play Louisville twice. They get to play Florida State twice. And they get to play Georgia Tech twice. On the flip side of that, they only have to play Virginia once, Miami once, North Carolina once, and Duke once. So that can help Clemson's cause. But we're going to start to learn a little bit more as we get more into this. Their next two games are away and games they should win, but they are road games. They're at Florida State, who's been playing better, although they got pummeled at home by Miami on Tuesday night, and then at Boston College. Again, another game they should win, but you got to keep doing it. But here's the kicker. Following that, they host Miami, and then they go to North Carolina. So three of Clemson's next four are on the road, and we're going to learn a lot more about the Tigers that way. Now, Clemson shouldn't have to apologize for that schedule, right? That they, they can and shouldn't. There's nothing they can do with their conference schedule other than play the teams that the ACC puts in front of them. They can't help that Louisville is awful this year when they're usually really good. They can't help that Florida State is not as good as they usually are, right? Now, they should absolutely apologize for their non-conference schedule, which was ranked like 333rd in the entire country out of 363 teams. That was bad and woeful for Clemson. And it's going to um, hurt them probably with seeding as they're matched up against other like teams. But Clemson's in a place where they could do this thing. I mean, they are they elite? No, again, I don't think there are any elite teams in the ACC right now. But they're good and they're strong and they could win what is a pretty balanced conference. However, I still believe Virginia will be the team that comes out on top of this thing. They're only one game behind Clemson right now. They still have to play each other. And so ultimately for me, I believe that Virginia prevails as the regular season ACC champion. We'll keep our eyes on that, but there's my vote as it is on Thursday, January 26th. Well, coming up to close out today's show is the six-pack. I'm going to give you six little quick things uh, that we saw at some point in recent days from college basketball, some of them games, some of them observations, some of them stat lines from players. Here we go with that in just a second. All right, friends, the six-pack coming at you. We're going to start off the beaten path a little bit. And that wouldn't seem to make sense, except it does, because it's Amani Bates is number one in our six-pack. Remember uh, Amani Bates, highly, highly heralded freshman coming in, went to Memphis last season, and frankly just wasn't all that great. Transferred not to a high major school, but back to Eastern Michigan, right? He's been probably off of your radar other than like they played Michigan early in the season. He had a great game. But Eastern Michigan, part of the reason he's even more off your radar is because Eastern Michigan is bad, like awfully bad. They are currently 4-16 and 333rd at Ken Palm. So right around uh, a terrible ranking there. And so uh, Amani Bates, though, boy, he continues to do some very interesting things. For example, on Tuesday night against Toledo, Amani Bates had 29 points, a phenomenal stat line. Oh, I'm sorry. That's 29 points in the first half. What? Yes, absolutely. In the first half against Toledo, another loss for Eastern Michigan, Amani Bates was 10 of 14 from the field, 7 of 9 from 3 in the first half. And then he finishes this thing with 43 points on a legitimately efficient 15 of 23 shooting from the floor and 9 of 14 from 3 plus 7 boards. What an enormous game from Amani Bates. Will he start to come back onto people's radar, uh, draft things? We'll have to keep tabs on that. But again, 
he's he's outside of most people's college viewpoint right now just because people aren't really paying attention to eastern michigan out of outside of mac conference people and eastern michigan fans all right number two another something rising up out of uh what what we expect to do something better georgetown wins a big east game for the first time in their past 30 attempts that's right the georgetown hoyas came into this game against DePaul on a 29-game Big East losing streak. And finally, finally, they pick up a victory, 81-7-6. Congrats to Pat Ewing. I don't think it's going to ultimately save his job, but it is a nice thing for a couple of days. Um, and, and even in this win, Georgetown was up 12 with like a minute and a half to go. And DePaul cut it to three in the final seconds of the game, but uh, Georgetown was able to sink a couple of free throws and get out with a victory. So th- they tried to give this thing away, but they, they couldn't. And thankfully Georgetown finally gets a win. And, and part of another reason to bring this up is just to say college basketball is so much better when Georgetown is good. Like those JT three teams of the, the mid like the 2007, eight, like that era, man, like, and obviously the, the classic teams, um, like the eighties, the, the team that was a runner up in um, 82 to North Carolina, that, those kind of things. It's like college basketball is better when Georgetown's good. Let's get back to there. All right. Six pack hit number three. We're going to get to some games. Now, Illinois beat Ohio state on Tuesday night, 69 to 60. Part of the reason I want to bring this up is because Purdue is just starting to stretch out that lead a little bit in the big 10 standings. It feels like it's Purdue and then a gaggle of teams and then Minnesota, (laughs) right? Those are the, that's your bread club sandwich. Purdue's at the top. Minnesota's at the bottom. And then all these other 12 teams are all the extra bread and meat and lettuce and everything else in the middle. Can anyone come out of that clump to challenge Purdue? I don't think so. And Purdue keeps on doing just enough to win these games, but if a team was able to do it, Illinois is one that stands out to me as a possibility from a, uh, a talent standpoint. They've won five of six, and so keep your eyes on it. Indiana's another one, by the way. Sneaky. Might be able to really start working their way back. Trace Jackson Davis has been playing really well. Six-pack number four. NC State wins on Tuesday night, 85-82 to 82 over Notre Dame at home. Probably should have been a bigger game, uh, a bigger win against the Fighting Irish. But the reason I bring it up is less about the game and more about Terquavion Smith, who you might recall over the weekend against North Carolina, took a hard foul from Leaky Black, fell, and was ultimately stretchered off the court. I bring it up because he is immediately able to play again. Not only that, he started and played 39 minutes for NC State in this game against Notre Dame. Didn't shoot well, uh, was highly inefficient, but he played And that is great news. We don't ever want to see any of these young men hurt when they're playing this game. Now, part of the reason uh, he was stretched off in the first place is just because he said like, ah, my neck kind of feels weird. And and with protocols and stuff, at that point, it clicks in, it triggers. Okay, we got to get the board out and cart him off, right? Um, Even if you think he's fine, you don't want to get slapped with a lawsuit. So um, that's part of why he was ultimately stretched off on Saturday in the Dean Smith Center there. But still, great news that Terquavion Smith is in NC State's next game back and playing. And hopefully uh, he will continue to keep going, keep getting better, 
and be back to full strength soon. Uh, staying in the ACC on Tuesday night, Miami headed to Florida State, number 20 Miami. And as I said earlier, Miami's been, or excuse me, Florida State has been playing a little better after their non-conference stinker uh, of going through that schedule. But it was not to be on Tuesday night. Miami went in and absolutely just trounced the Seminoles. 86-63, a 23-point victory on the road for Miami. Much needed there. Um, Miami has 54 points in the first half of this one. All five starters had between 12 to 18 points that they scored. So basically what I'm telling you is Miami, Leonard Hamilton, Leonard Hamilton, right? Like Florida State always has like all these dudes scoring like 10, 12, 14 points and they'll have like seven of them. That's exactly what Miami did in this game with all their starters. And so Florida State just still trying to figure out what they are, but Miami does the work of keeping tabs, uh, keeping track with North Carolina tied for third in the ACC as North Carolina won at Syracuse on Tuesday night. And then finally, number six in our six pack. I know that on Wednesday show, Andy Patton, my co-host had um, a whole bunch on the McDonald's all American rosters for you. And I just wanted to point out one extra thing, just a neat family legacy stuff you had as part of this roster two players selected who are the sons of previous McDonald's All-American players. Obviously, one of them, duh, right? Bronny James, the son of LeBron James. But the other is one of the is a more highly rated player in the class, DJ Wagner, the son of Dewan Wagner. Such cool stuff there for those two families to have both fathers and sons named as McDonald's All-Americans. Oh, but hold the phone, by the way. Because for the Wagner family, it goes one step further. Not only is it DJ, not only is it Dewan, but Grandpa Milt Wagner himself was also a McDonald's All-American back in 1981. So yes, you have three generations of this, not just that they're college basketball players, not just that they played basketball. Three family, three generations of this family were all the tip-top elite uh, high school seniors coming out in their classes and all made the McDonald's All-American game. That's just cool, cool stuff. Legacy that they'll be able to tell generation after generation. So uh, keep an eye out if DJ Wagner ever has a son that comes through uh, college basketball or a girl. I mean, there's obviously the the women's McDonald's All-American game as well. That'd be pretty cool. Four generations of this family all in this game, the fourth of which is a young lady. That'd be pretty cool stuff. So anyway, best of luck to everyone on both of these rosters, the men's and women's rosters, and uh, congrats on um, accolades well earned. We cannot wait to see you in college basketball next year. Well, that is it for today's show. Coming up tomorrow, a super fun show. My co-host Andy Patton is going to have, excuse me, Chris Gordy, the host of Locked on SEC, and Josh Neighbors, the host of Locked on Big 12. Why? Because coming up this weekend is the Big 12 SEC Challenge, where we have a crossover and all 10 Big 12 teams will be in action against 10 of the 14 SEC teams for a, a, a late January step out of conference play to play each other. I love getting this. We, we used to have more of these, and now just once teams get into conference play, that's all they do. And so I'm so glad to see this from the Big 12 and the SEC. Going to be some great matchups 
Kansas might take their first ever four game losing streak under Bill Self. But obviously th these three guys will have more on that for you on tomorrow's show. For now, make sure that you subscribe, like, and comment on this show. Thanks so much for tuning in with me. Would love to hear your thoughts on the Big 12 race, the ACC race, and any of these six things from today's six pack. Thanks so much for tuning in. Until tomorrow, peace.